0: Join over 350,000 people just like you who are taking control of their wellness journey with Viome. When it comes to choosing the right food and supplements for you, don't guess. Test. With Viome's health intelligence test, you get over 30 health insights based on your unique biology and your gut microbiome. You also receive personalized food recommendations and precision supplements formulated literally just for you. Use code GENIUS to get an extra $20 off a health intelligence test.
1: are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs.
0: Before we get started, I have a quick favor. I've been self-funding the Finding Genius Podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button, and we'll be able to solicit donations uh, to help keep the podcast running, and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the uh, you know the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up and check in the description for buy me a coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going. And I love coffee. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Dr. Dominique Potpin. Uh She's a senior lecturer in animal ecology. She's in Queensland, Australia, uh, the Moreton Bay campus. So we're going to talk about um, her work with uh, various birds and birdsong and uh, how human activities are affecting uh, birds. So Dominique, thanks for coming.
2: No problem. Thanks for having me.
0: If you would, tell me a bit about your background, like what got you involved with what you do. And then I want to ask you after that, you know, what you're working on right now
2: sure when i was going into undergrad i couldn't decide whether to pursue a career in music or biology because i loved both things so i kind of studied both and then in my third year in the summer i got a job following birds and recording their song so i was like this is perfect i've got some you know a bit of sound production and music Background and it actually helped me to understand all of my technology and even to recognize different bird songs. And I was looking at my colleagues and the people that are employing me to do this, and I sort of thought, wait a second, this is a job and you can get paid to just like go out and record birds and study how they sing. This is perfect. So, yeah, so I did my master's, did the PhD, and you know, a few postdocs, and here I am today.
0: Very cool. So what's the current questions you're looking at in your research?
2: I do a lot of research into how human-generated noise impacts birds and, um, and other organisms as well. But I'm particularly interested in birds because they are able to learn uh, a lot of their vocalizations. So they're one of the only passerines so of specific types of birds or some of the only animals that can actually learn Vocal patterns, other animals are you know humans, obviously, but we 've sometimes sort of you know whales doing this we 're finding more and more animals that can do this, but birds seem to be like an absolute i mean you if you know any any mocking birds or mimics like that, they 're absolutely incredible at being able to learn and and mimic things so Yeah, so I I study a lot of that. I study a lot about how urbanization and other human activities can impact uh, what birds do and what animals do and the decisions that they make um, and their cognition, um, but mostly about their vocal learning and their communication.
0: Yeah, I have uh, two cockatiels, and when we had the first one, you know, he wasn't around any other cockatiel, and he imitates a lot of stuff like say scratch 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 and he goes scratch scratch scratch, on his own and he imitates the microwave and you know for different people in the house i could tell like he likes my son and my oldest daughter the best because he talks like crazy when they come and he like clucks in their ear and it's interesting how much they pick up what they do and what they don't you know
2: yeah and it it actually requires some really specific brain structures to be able to listen to something process it and then be able to produce a sound that that mimics it so and that's why you know it's I mean that's why we're so interested in things like uh, different kinds of parrots and things like that because not a lot of animals can do this very well the way that they can yeah it does actually yeah it requires some specific brain structures and it requires some specific vocal structures as well so you need kind of a perfect storm to be able to do that which is why it's so cool
0: why do you think birds uh, imitate some sounds and not uh, not others like there's ones that I'd want my bird to, to imitate, but he doesn't, you know, he, he imitates what he wants, but has anyone studied like why birds imitate certain sounds and not others.
2: I think some of it is a little bit of a matter of, of what they can imitate and, and can't and. Um, Yeah, there's been a few studies into why birds learn certain things. I think if they are positively reinforced, um, not just from, say, a human, but also other birds. So if other birds seem to like it or not, um, that they're around, then they'll, they'll do it more or less. There's also what we call sensory bias, which can be applied in a lot of different situations. But in this particular one, there may be certain sounds that actually correspond more to the things that they like. So um, they might just have a preference for a particular kind of sound and maybe that's the kind of sound that they are hoping, you know, a mate might attract them with or whatever. Or it might be a sound that they grew up with or even that they heard in the egg and those sounds they really are drawn to. And so when they are learning sounds, they actually tend to learn sounds that 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 sound like those the sort of positively sounds that have positive connections for them or that they have experience with it's kind of it's kind of cool, yeah, so there's a little bit of an innate aspect to that, so we think that certain species just like certain sounds for whatever reason, and then there's a there might be a little bit of you know nurture nature thing going on as well, so positively associated sounds as well
0: well, it seems like there's sounds that birds associate with anything but other birds. And then there's certain sounds that are probably only reserved for other birds, just like them. Like, you know, again, like with my cockatiels, you know, the, the male's name is Lenny. He'll he'll make different sounds with the different people in the house that pick him up. You know, me, it's one set. My son, it's another set, etc. But when he's talking to Pearl, you know, his his cage mate there, then you know he never uses those sounds with us. And so it seems like they, I guess, they literally are talking or communicating with different people in different ways. You know, themselves Absolutely. one way, us another.
2: Yeah, absolutely. A lot of birds are really good at identifying individuals whether that's humans or um or other birds. And a lot of birds use very specific sounds either that able enable other birds to identify them, so an individual sound like saying my name is Dominique or that they can say I am talking to you. So a directed sound that would, you know, suggest I know that you're here and I'm talking to you it's a It's a good system anyway for for birds that can do it
0: so what you, what's your current studies about what are you looking at what kind of birds and what kind of activities?
2: yeah, so I've got a few different things going on I, I've actually so i've I've expanded my work a little bit from birds so that i I've got a few different questions and a few different species at the moment apart from birds so for birds i I'm looking a little bit at some questions that I was looking at a few years ago, which is how bird languages evolve on islands. And I've got a, a few places that I'm looking at at the moment, a couple of students working on these things where we're looking at when a, when a bird colonizes an island or if a bird is on an island and the same species is on the mainland. And then all of a sudden they start, well, not all of a sudden, but over time, they start sounding a bit different to each other. How fast does that, does that happen and how does that happen? And, and what shapes the song that they sing on the islands versus the mainland? So they start, start to get like little accents And then we're trying to also figure out what does this drive, you know, some kind of speciation. So does it does it mean that they can't understand each other anymore after a certain time? Um, You know, if an island bird came back to the mainland and started to talk, would they would they be understood by those that are on the mainland or vice versa? And therefore, would they be able to mate or not? And so we've got a few projects going on with that. We've got some projects. Also, (laughs) one of the projects we were trying to do with magpies was to see how different individuals, kind of like you were talking about, sort of talk to each other and how they spend time with each other and whether that influences what they what they say and what they do and whether this changes again in, in sort of urban areas because they're quite a, a ubiquitous urban bird. That experiment's been cut short because the magpies were too smart for us and they took off all of their trackers, which was a story that tended to get a lot of attention earlier mm-hmm. this year. And then um, so we're, we're trying to reestablish that, but we might be doing the same experiment except on lizards instead because
0: well, they, what about um, re- recording bird song from magpies just in the natural environment you know urban ones and less urban ones that are maybe around smaller towns and you know on islands et cetera, and playing them back for the other magpie you know when it's in another you know if I go to like some island in like tasmania or something there's a magpie there I record them and I bring it back and playing for the ones on you know mainland Australia mm-hmm. have you tried that and have you noticed anything?
2: yeah so we did do a study like that a few years ago we did it with urban and rural birds and they did seem to understand each other the rural and urban birds seem to have sort of different I would almost say personalities so the urban birds you know they were that there were other birds encroaching on their territory but they seemed to understand it. And they, they weren't actually that bothered. So, you know, they kind of sang back and snapped and like, oh, could you just go away? Think about living in a city. Just like, that person's being loud in my personal space, but what can I do? The rural birds though got really angry. So again, this might sound a bit familiar. So, you know, we played some urban bird and some rural bird songs to some rural birds on their territories and their territories tend to be a little bit bigger because they've got more space out in the country. Um, And they just went a little bit bananas. So they were swooping and snapping and, and being really aggressive to to the speakers that we had the song playing from. So oh. it seemed like they were much more bothered by people being on their, their territory than than the urban birds. Yeah, and you could definitely draw some human parallels to that if you wanted to do that. It was an interesting finding
0: yeah. anyway. Well, birds near uh, urban centers, there would be a lot more background consistent noise and I would think ones in rural areas at night. Or, you know, even in the day, it might be a lot quieter. So maybe they're getting less stimuli and therefore their brains are a bit different and their song is different, et cetera, you know?
2: Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we I have found in other studies that, you know, noise actually impacts how birds learn their songs. So if you grow up with a lot of noise as a as a young bird, you're, the way that you learn is a little bit different. You have to learn kind of in snippets. And so sometimes you'll learn a song, okay, but your grammar will be a little bit mixed up because you haven't been able to listen to you know a really good string of, of song over and over again to be able to to copy it um and learn it which is kind of interesting so that you know and and we actually find that that corresponds with the growth of a particular structure in the brain called area x um that is involved in in learning vocalizations so and production of vocalizations so in birds that have been raised in you know, moderate to loud traffic noise. So the same type of noise that might you might experience in a city park. Um, they seem to have underdeveloped vocal structures in their brain that allow them to to more efficiently and effectively learn um, acoustic signals. So, it, the, yeah, it's a it's a complex it's a complex story because you have you know the impact of noise from a city impacting things like your growth and development your brain development, your ability to learn, and then also, you know, when you're an adult, you, you have this impact of, you know, not even being able to necessarily hear others. So you have to either get closer or sing louder or, or even sing different songs. So other things that I've studied have included looking at how birds in cities actually sing differently than birds in rural areas. And this is consistent across cities. So they, they tend to sing higher and slower and this is because traffic noise is is low low frequency and so you just don't bother singing anything low because nobody's going to be able to hear it and so you start to sing higher and higher in the city and we find this. so their songs are
0: their songs are adaptive based on the environment
2: yeah exactly yeah we call it the acoustic adaptation hypothesis so you you know there's no no point in singing something that's not going to be heard in an environment that you live in so and and you know even if you do sing it nobody's going to hear it so it it could just be you know it might not be a choice it might just be that nobody could learn those things from you because they couldn't hear it so it gets sort of naturally selected or artificially selected out of the population because you can't pass it on to to others so yeah it's it's an, it's a cool yeah there's there's so much impact of noise and we're still just learning about it still it's it's such an open field right, what what
0: about birds that are good imitators mm-hmm. looking at city versus rural versus birds that really aren't imitators at all maybe check the those two populations to see what the differences are
2: some really recent studies not by me but by others have shown that for birds that are really uh have really adapted to cities so magpies for example that do mimic they seem to be able still to mimic things pretty well in cities and it and it doesn't seem to impact their cognition as much as it does with other birds that we don't find as commonly in cities so it it seems like noise might actually be one of those things that, you know, if you can deal with it, then you can be successful in a city. But if you can't, like if it actually does impact your cognition and your ability to learn, then you might kind of be kicked out. Like there's, you know, you're, you're less likely to succeed in there. So so it's sort of, it's difficult to study sometimes in the natural, you know, this, the natural sort of urban and rural environments, because you already have birds that are either living in the urban environment because they've been able to adapt. And then the ones that aren't there clearly can't cope. So, you know, and and noise might be a part of that. So it's hard to kind of study some of these questions in the wild. You know, we do know that birds that mimic really well. So things like lyrebirds in Australia, which I think are probably the most incredible mimics in the world, I would argue. If they live near suburbs, they're, they're a little bit, they don't tend to live in cities, but they can live sort of on the outskirts of cities. And they, there are some in zoos that tend to mimic human sounds, just like parrots do, kind of. Um, but they're incredible mimics and, you know, will mimic things like chainsaws. And there's a really uh, popular David Attenborough episode about, about a lyrebird mimicking a, an old school camera and stuff like that. So, yeah, they definitely change what they okay. learn because they change the sounds that, that they're exposed to. So it's kind of cool.
0: Discover how your gut microbiome is impacting your cellular health immune health, and how you're aging from the inside out with Viome's health intelligence test. Collect your samples, send them to the Viome lab, and within two to three weeks, your health scores and food and supplement recommendations will be available to you right in your Viome app. Visit Viome.com and use code GENIUS to get an extra $20 off your health intelligence test. It'd be cool if you get one to introduce you and say your name. You You could use it when you do talks. That'd be amazing, you know. It's yeah. many <laughs> I many I know. that.
2: I feel like, I don't know, it would take a lot of time and energy. Also, like, I'm not sure if the, the wild birds would be interested in that unless I gave them lots of incentive. So, and then I'd have to get past ethics. Oh, it would just be a whole regular role, I think. Sure, I'm up for that. But
0: So what, what questions are you trying to answer and why with your studies?
2: Yeah, like, I'm interested, like, like, it's, you know, the biggest things I'm interested in is how do, how does, song evolve? Like, how do birds learn these different things? Why do they sound differently? What what influences them? And, you know, noise is a big part of this. How do birds deal with with noise? I, I'm also looking at, you know, like I said, other, other species. So one of my other big projects at the moment is, is to try and look at how, say, Darwin's finches on the Galapagos have evolved their song and, and does it follow the same patterns as their genetic evolution that everybody's so familiar with? because it's a cultural factor, and they learn it, rather than a genetic factor, there are certain things that might happen with song that might not happen with with their genetics. And so I want to, you know, I'm trying to get a catalog of that working with lots of different colleagues on that to create a big catalog of Darwin's Finch song to look at sort of the cultural side of the one of the most popular examples of evolution that we know of. Um, and like things like even geckos that that signal there's not a lot of stuff about you know why do geckos sound the way that they do we're still answering questions like that why are geckos the only well some of the only reptiles that that make sounds we don't really even know much about the answer to that either so I'm looking into that too you know most of my research is just based around bioacoustics and why things sound the way that they do how they how they evolve and how does the environment especially a changing environment like cities how does that influence what what animals and especially birds, what what they sound like. So.
0: Well, I guess, you, you know, from what you said, it causes them to adapt, mm-hmm. you know, in response to the sounds they hear. If they hear a lot of low-level background sound, then their songs have to change to stand out amidst the noise, you know? So that's one factor you found, it sounds like.
2: Yep, exactly. But then there's also the growth and development factor. And then there's, you know, certain other things that can happen too. So cities, for example, if you cut down a forest a forest has particular acoustics in it and a city has a very different type of acoustics even if it's a quiet city Um, buildings and roads um, concrete do different things with sounds than trees do or a field Um, and so the actual you know physics of the area changes too and that can sometimes um, also change what uh, what something sounds like and how far a sound will travel and all of that as well. And I mean you get noises in other places too, not just cities. So things like oil fields and stuff like that where you've got machinery, but it seems like it's a very rural area, it can still be very noisy. Um and so we we find different effects in, in those kinds of places too. So it's a yeah, it's a pretty cool field to be in. Go for Do it. You
0: overlay the hearing range of let's say the lyrebirds. birds with their ambient, you know, have you looked at that to see maybe they're in a place that's noisy, but a lot of the noise is outside their hearing range. So it doesn't bother them. Or maybe there's other areas where all the sound, it's noisy and it all overlays their normal hearing range. So it really screws them up, you know?
2: Yeah. So some other people have looked at that and birds, the thing is, is that birds actually have a better hearing range than we do. So <laughs> they could potentially be more bothered than we are with, with sounds. But the other thing is, is that birds, they don't just use sound to mimic and to learn how to communicate with each other. They also learn, use sounds for different things. So if you're an owl, for example, you'll be using sound to try and find your prey. And that might not necessarily be the same types of frequencies that you use to communicate with each other. Um, That might be, you know, much higher frequency. And so if you have particular sounds that might, that might block your signals, but they're not blocking the, prey sounds, then you might not be able to talk to each other, but you'll be able to find your prey. Similarly, some other birds use sounds, obviously, to escape predators. So they might try to listen for predators or listen for other birds, not their own species, calling that there is a predator. So they they do alarm calls saying, ah, there's something around. And so you also have these, you don't just have an impact of noise on communication and, and how birds talk to each other, but you also have the impact of noise on like how they perceive their entire environment. And an experiment that I did with frogs actually showed that you don't even have to be uh, masking the noise. So it doesn't, you don't even have to have the noise masking the actual signals. So the signals and the noise could be in completely different frequencies, but there's something called the distraction hypothesis that even if there is any noise, if it's like you said, within the hearing range, even if it's not actually like blocking the sound, they can still get distracted enough that they make poor decisions. So we actually found that you know frogs that were in noise, um, female frogs went towards you know unattractive males more often, so we, we played them attractive songs and unattractive songs and they they tended to have a harder time deciding you know who was the best to go to and picked the the worst ones when they were distracted by noise. Again, I don't know if that's useful for people either if you're going to go into a nightclub. Yeah, there have been parallels drawn there.
0: <laughs> well, I mean what would you what would you want the results of your research to be? you know, there's certain birds that are critical to certain ecosystems and therefore, you know, the noise in an area should be suppressed or the birds relocated, yeah. or, you know, what would be the a- outcome of your research?
2: Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, like the, the sort of the conservation implications for what we're doing is, is that it, oftentimes, well, at least until recently, noise has not really been considered as much as we, want it to be when um things like new developments are taking place so when you're building and and proposing a road to go through a national park say that's all well and good you're saying okay well it's not going to be used that often or divert traffic from this other place and this blah blah, blah. Um, and you know there'll there'll be x number of cars and so you know maybe some things will move away but Often people are more concerned with okay, well, how many animals might die? Okay, well, we'll make an overpass. But the problem is, is that it's not just the physical road; it's the other things associated with the road. So you have light, and you have sound, and sound is the thing that will travel the furthest. So you might have a road that's only, you know, however many meters wide, but the sound will carry for kilometers um, or miles. So you know, you'll have a much bigger impact than you think you're going to, and we're only just understanding how loud noise has to be or even how quiet it can be and it still has an impact on you know things like whether eggs can successfully hatch whether birds can successfully mate whether they leave whether they stay who stays who goes can they still communicate can they still hear their prey can they still hear their predators all of that sort of stuff so we're still um really looking into this and a recent study not too long ago actually found that you know pretty much every national park in in the US is actually you know too noisy (laughs) there's too much noise in it so they've got levels of noise that we know already know through research impact animals in some way whether that's you know with any of these interactions that I was talking about and and so the idea is to try and get some of this data and this information to inform policy on okay how loud does something need to be before it needs to be considered like there's a threshold that that you just have to say no you cannot go through a protected area. Areas need to be protected from more than just say buildings. They might need to be protected from noise in which case that does limit a little bit more what you can and can't do in an area but it's just like you know people complain about loud things being put next to their houses. It's the same thing for, for forests and protected areas so we're just hoping that all of this research that shows that there are impacts and that even though some birds are able to adapt and that's amazing a lot of them are still suffering from certain effects and and it's just one more thing that we should be considering in the future when we are trying to propose new developments and and you know what what can we do i mean i'm not in this sphere but you know the idea that we might be able to make things quieter in general would be great or to reduce the amount of noise somehow, or separate it from natural areas, is a hmm. is an area of research that I think would be really helpful in the future for this kind of thing. So, yeah, that's the that's the hope anyway.
0: Well, how do you know whether a sound, uh, you know, affects a bird poorly or negatively or not? Do you use any biomarkers, or um, like, what's the method? You know, is that too invasive? And I mean, can you look at heart rate, or you know, what could you look at? Stress factors to tell you that it's bothering the bird
2: yeah i mean there are more and less invasive things so you can you can look at whether things are stressed out sometimes um some studies have used fecal matter so you can go out collect some poop and see okay. how many stress how much stress hormone is in there and whether those birds are stressed out by the noise the thing is is that the first thing that birds will do if they're if they're annoyed by noise though is they'll leave so that's the other thing is that if something is affected by noise you probably only find out too late after it's already gone because it's been affected so that's why we need sometimes controlled experiments like like the ones that I've done in captivity on captive birds to say okay like how why don't you why don't you why don't you and your species live in noisy areas why do you guys always leave what's actually happening and that's you know that's when we find out things like oh okay well you know your nests all fail when you are in the middle of loud noise that would make sense then that you wouldn't be somewhere where there's loud noise. So yeah, for some for some birds it's a little bit easier because they're they're still around and, and they might be, you know, suffering a little bit but able to to stick around in those areas and then for other birds you really have to, you know, take take the time to, you know, do experiments either in the field or or in captivity just to say okay, like w- what's going on with you guys? Why why are you guys so sensitive to this stuff? And then find out and then say, okay, well, this is this is something that might be affecting other species that are similar to you. And we need to really consider this when we, when we look at, you know, what kind of noisy things we're putting where.
0: Yeah, also too, is the bird normally solitary or is it like to hang out with a lot of other birds? You know, their social structure could change their tolerance of noise and all kinds of stuff and proximity as well.
2: Yeah, a little bit, I think. Yeah, again, it, it's so species dependent. Like it it, it, it really depends on on the type of species. We find that urban birds are a lot more densely populated because there's just not enough space. But if you're a really solitary bird and you hate being densely populated, then you're gonna leave. So yeah, it definitely the the social structure does does matter. If you're a social species and you're really really loud, you might be fine in a city. We have these parrots little parrots called lorikeets here in australia and they're all over the cities and they're just the cacophony they make at dusk is probably rivals if not overtakes some of the human noise that you hear
1: Whereas yeah, you know, some have of have them
0: the same kids, thing i don't know yeah. what kind of birds they are but i think we've i'm in austin texas i think we have a lot of grackles they call it
1: mm, yep. So
0: you know in the evening in the trees there's thousands of them like going crazy it's pretty cool yeah. to hear them but there's a lot and they're talking like like mad you know
2: yeah I love grackles. they' they've got some really cool sounds um, in there. so yeah and and I mean it's it's funny because even things like doves are, and pigeons, they're so common in cities, but their' their calls overlap with with traffic noise a lot so you just think okay well maybe sound maybe communicating by sound isn't quite as important for you maybe it's your little weird head bob dance that that is more important and you you can actually live without sound you know communicating by sound so we're also finding that you know there might be just different modalities you just start being a more visual creature rather than an acoustic one in in cities because you can't Talk to each other. Yeah, but if you can't see the other
0: birds, how are you supposed to find them?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of conundrums <laughs> going on. I think pigeons are, are pretty dense, so they're not so they're not too bothered. But yeah, other with other other species, it's
0: definitely an issue. Okay, well, very good. Where where can people find out more about uh, your work?
2: Yep. So if I'm on the web. You can follow me on Twitter at, at SilvereyeDoc. So that's silver eye like and in doc and then yeah i i'm here at the university of the sunshine coast like you said the morton bay campus so really close to brisbane um you can check out some of my research i've written a few articles on the conversation which is a, a great resource for for stuff like that if you're interested in in bird stuff like that um and yeah you can also get in touch if you're interested in things like graduate school and stuff too. I'm always looking for students to continue my project. So if you're interested in this kind of stuff, yeah, totally get in touch.
0: Okay, very good. Well, Dominique, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
2: That's all right. I hope it was okay.
0: (laughs) Don't forget, before you go, use code GENIUS at Viome.com for an additional $20 off your health intelligence test and get started on your health journey with the right foods, supplements, and probiotics and prebiotics for your unique biology. Get a deeper look within with Viome's health intelligence test. Viome, you decoded.
1: You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else?